I don't know anyone that enjoys suffering. It's not something that we like to experience. And really, we will go to great lengths, at least I will, to keep from suffering. But it it really is impossible to avoid suffering entirely or indefinitely. Though in the West, we do a pretty phenomenal job of mitigating it, which is great. If we could do so for everyone in the world, I think that would be spectacular. But suffering is one of the reminders that we live in a broken and fallen world. It is fascinating that although we've done an amazing job here in the West to mitigate our own personal experience of suffering through the benefits of modern science, technology, medicine, and the like, it is the same scientific and technological advances that have made it possible for us to see and be well acquainted with the sufferings of others throughout the world. When there is an earthquake in Indonesia, we know about it instantaneously. When there are wars and masses seeking refuge from them in the Middle East, we can't get away from the reporting of it constantly. It is hard to not be affected by the sufferings being experienced by others throughout the world. You'd have to be virtually sociopathic to not be affected by the sufferings of others. When thinking about suffering, we recognize that some suffer due to natural evils, things like droughts, fires, floods, famines, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, and the like, while others suffer due to moral evils, like theft, exploitation, murder, rape, just the general malevolence of a broken world. None of these things are good. None is enjoyable. They're not welcomed by us. In fact, whether you believe in God or you are an avowed atheist, we don't like to suffer, and we feel an internal compulsion to try to alleviate suffering. Why? Have you ever stopped to consider the question why we feel compelled to try to deal with suffering in the world? Other sentient creatures, animals, they appear to be indifferent to the issues that others face. And other species, they, they they don't look across the species and try to figure out how to fix those things. But we, humans, are not only aware of our own problems, our own suffering, but we are aware that other humans have potentially bigger problems than we do. And we are aware of the problems and sufferings of other non-human creatures too. And there is this internal drive, a compulsion to do something to deal with suffering. Why? I want to suggest to you that we feel compelled to address the evils and the sufferings caused by those evils in the world because we desire and expect a resolution to evil and suffering. You see, for the Bible-believing Christian, suffering is ultimately the result of the fall that is described in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. And referencing that fall, the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament book of Romans, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all humanity. The Christian believes that pain, Sorrow, suffering, and death are the result of humanity's sinful rebellion and disobedience described in Genesis 3. In a sense, the reason that we feel as though the evils and sufferings in this world make the world not as it is supposed to be 
is because the world is not as it is supposed to be. It's not as God originally created it or intended it to be. So that deep desire and compulsion for a resolution to suffering, it resides in us because there is and will be a resolution. It will be resolved. The Apostle Peter wrote, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, the suffering, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So Peter connects trials and suffering to future glory and exceeding joy. Many times in the Bible, suffering is paired with a reminder that future glory and joy await us, like this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, the desire of all creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's looking forward to the day when God comes again and transforms things. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, our suffering in this world, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And then the final book of the Bible, nearing the very end, the Apostle John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, where the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. I suggest to you that this deep desire for a world without suffering and pain and death has no good explanation in pure evolutionary materialism. But it does make sense when you begin to understand the world through theological perspective. So Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Something to think about as you start your day today. We'll see you next time.